quite like movies. And uh, there is one particular movie that I don't particularly like. (laughs) And it's because I was forced to watch it many a moon ago. When I was about 20, I went to America and we watched The Lion King for 12 weeks running on a kids' camp. Uh, I never want to see it again, but it has stuck in my mind. (laughs) Now, The Lion King, if you haven't seen it, is a movie about this lion, uh, this is part of the plot, we'll say, who is racked by guilt. So instead of being king, he instead is living as an outcast with these kind of other people that are sort of also outcasts. And during the film, we hit a musical number where the lion's girlfriend begins to sing. It's romantic. And in it, she she sings the line, Why can't he see the king inside of him, the king he's meant to be? Is that familiar to anyone? I would sing it, but I won't. And in this letter, Paul actually is singing a similar song. He sings and said, Why can't they see who they are? the people they're meant to be, okay, that kind of idea. He wants them to fully understand their true identity and to act like it. Uh, When you read this letter, let's face it, it's a bit of a disaster of a church, okay? Um, But he doesn't write to them um, in the light of their behaviour, but rather in the light of who they are. He tackles their behaviour. He doesn't let it go away. He's very stern in his words. He never minces his words. He attacks the things that they're doing they shouldn't be doing. But he never says that this is who they are. And that's a key point. He wants them, rather, to understand who they are and behave as such. He does not start opening Corinthians with, to the pathetic excuse for a church in Corinth, the sexually immoral swindlers, drunkards, and greedy folk. He doesn't start like that. No, he starts to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. And with Paul, it is always about what God has done. This is how you are now, and this is how you should live. It's a bit like he's put on, you're playing, two teams are playing hockey, there's blues and greens, you have now got a green bib, you are now going to act like a green big player, okay? So good acting like the blue bibs anymore, you're now the green bibs. And so as we come to today's section, we hear that they're not only squabbling, you remember, over which pastor they want to follow... But they're squabbling so badly amongst each other that they're actually taking each other to court. That is how bad their relationships have got. So let's read this first section together and see what he says. He said, If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint us judges, even men of little account in the church. 
I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is no one among you who is wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits amongst you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the adulterers, uh, sorry, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So, we'll start there. As you read Paul's um, letters, you'll see time and time again that he's often pleading with them to be united, to stop arguing to agree with one another. And church after church, he calls for unity. And those churches aren't very different to our own, are they? It doesn't take long before a conflict between individuals sort of sweeps up the whole church and we have a conflict between an entire community. But when the relationship breakdown goes beyond this, what about if it ends up in court? The more we share our lives, that's what we want to do, isn't it, as a community. We want to get closer to one another. Share, uh, our strapline is um, sharing life, building community. And the more we share life, the more chances we have of sinning against one another. We're not perfect, are we? We all know that. We're going to offend each other. We're going to get it wrong. We're going to mess up. Actually, If you don't think that's the case, then you're probably not yet in true relationship with other people in the church. Because we do. We annoy each other. If you don't want to have any problems, probably the best way to do it is to scurry into church and scurry out during the last song and don't talk to anyone. Keep your head down. Or alternatively, hang about a bit, pretend you're quite nice, don't possibly get into any sort of small group, because then they might find out. But that's what we're, not what we're called to do, is it? We're called to be in relationship, part of a community, part of a small group. And when we do that, we rub up against each other and we annoy each other. That's what we do. And here in Corinth, we've got a, a dispute that has arisen between two believers. Person A has taken person B to court. Would have made a bit of an awkward house group, I think. What do you think? Um, tonight, Jen's not here. She's been advised not to talk to Tom by her solicitor until this matter is over. <laughs> now, important at the beginning, isn't it? Because some people... You, You can take Bible verses to the extreme, can't you? I think the Corinthians were pretty good at that because Paul's Paul's often saying, actually, I don't mean this. 
And what he doesn't mean here is that it's wrong to ever take another Christian to court. And he certainly doesn't mean it's never right to take a non-Christian to court. Okay? If a builder comes to do your house, takes thousands and thousands of pounds for you, and leaves it in a complete state, actually I think you should be taking them to court. You should do something about that. We have the law. Romans, Paul tells us that their courts are established by God. And that we should be law-abiding citizens. And Jesus tells us to pay our taxes, doesn't he? The courts are there to help us. We don't want to be like the Corinthian church that we heard from last week with John, that actually covers up things that are legal matters. Uh, Last week, do you remember, they were turning a blind eye to this uh, guy that was in a relationship with his mum. That was actually illegal. And yet they were sort of keeping it in the church. We don't want to be that sort of church, do we? If we look at the Roman Catholic Church, we certainly don't want to be saying that we're covering up things or turning a blind eye to what is actually a really serious matter of justice. We're not going to keep secrets in the church. We're not going to cover up for one another. And we're not going to allow people to go on hurting others. We're not going to deal with things internally. If you've done something wrong in this church and you tell someone, we're not going to keep it confidential. If you've broken the law, if you're putting someone at danger in this church, we're going to take that very seriously. But that's not what Paul is meaning here. If you look, there's a key verse, isn't there? In verse 2, right at the end, he says, trivial cases. Trivial cases. That's important. And this was quite common in Corinth for an acceptable for someone to institute civil proceedings before a magistrate or a jury to establish one's social or political superiority, okay? And this might be what Paul is talking about here, trivial matters, not murder, not rape, not arson, abuse, theft. They're not trivial matters. But there are some cases, aren't there, in the church that we can deal with. We don't need to bring those before the courts. And Paul says, how dare you drag it before the courts And let the ungodly, those who aren't able to sing, Jesus is Lord, judge over your disputes. So let's take some examples. Okay, so these might be cases where you think, yeah, I think I might do something about that. Or I might show that person grace and just let it go. So, for example, person A is spreading gossip about you. Are you going to take that to court? Maybe not. Okay, person B has sold you a car for so much. A month later, it breaks down. You have to spend exactly the same amount of money on it as you paid for it. What are you going to do there? Uh, You live in a house with someone, and you made a verbal agreement that you would pay half the bills, and they would pay half the bills. But when they move out, they only leave you enough money for the quarter of the bills saying, actually, I only lived here a quarter of the time, so I don't think I should have to pay half. Okay? Another example, you're in a business with someone, another Christian, it's going well, 
But that Christian, unfortunately, does a job on the side, they don't get paid, and now your business is about to go under. What are you going to do? Tricky, aren't they? Or you give £10,000 to a church project. (laughs) The church project does not happen. You want your money back. What are you going to do? And these are the sorts of small cases, I think, that are kind of got a bit of a question mark over them. You could go to the small claims court, or you could both sit down with someone you both respect and agree to do what they decide you should do. You both present your case. You say, we respect this person, we honour this person as a Christian, we think they're wise, let's get them to decide what, could, what should happen here. In the Corinthian society, they did have arbitrators who would do that. Say if you go into court all the expense, you could go and sit with someone and they would decide what to do. Paul says, surely, surely you have somebody in the community who could do this for you. Surely. He says, put it in perspective. Verse 2, verse 3. Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? That you guys are going to be involved when Jesus comes to judge. And you're asking someone not submitted to the lordship of Christ to judge over your petty matters. And verse 3, don't you know you'll you'll judge angels? Surely you should be able to make some judgments about life. He wants them to see the the bigger picture. You're dragging yourself before unbelievers and you're squabbling with each other. Are you so broken that in a city that loves and they did delight in taking each other to court that you're going to do that before unbelievers to disgrace the name of the church and the name of Christ? It's, it's like you meet someone, you say, hey, why don't you come to church with me sometime? Jesus is amazing. It completely changes you, helps you to love people. When they get here, two people in the car park yelling at each other, you owe me money, when are you going to pay me? Your housemates don't come in your car. They've walked because they're not speaking to you. It's not good, is it? Paul says the very fact that I get to hear that you're taking each other to court shows you've been completely defeated already. What kind of witness is this? What kind of witness is this? It might be that you've been through arbitration, that you've tried and you feel there's a justice issue here. Paul isn't saying you never take someone to court. But you need to ask yourself, what is more important in the bigger, grander scheme of the world and eternity? Is my friendship with this person more important than our petty, trivial dispute? Is the name of Jesus more important than our petty, trivial dispute? And the reputation of the gospel of reconciliation more important? In the larger scheme of eternity, is it not better to show grace than sometimes to insist on justice. You have to ask yourself, is it not better to be slightly ripped off 
to not quite get your own way. So stop bickering and acting like the world values matters. Stop doing wrong to one another. Okay, so verse 9 and 10 seems to jump a bit. You're like, well, you're talking about people going to court and now you're kind of doing this massive list of things. Hmm. He says, verse 9, do not be deceived. Don't deceive yourself and carry on as if nothing has happened, nothing has changed. These guys are so wrapped up in their culture, they just can't even get their head above water. But they're still saying they're following Jesus. And here Paul says, you can look through it, I've slightly rewritten it. If you're sleeping with someone you're not married to, if you're wanting something or someone more than Jesus, be it money or what others think of you, If you're cheating on your wife or your husband, be it physically or over the internet. If you're engaged in a physical relationship with someone of the same sex. If you're stealing money, be it directly or through time or shopkeeping. Shoplifting even. If you're greedy. Oh dear. (laughs) If you're greedy. You can show greed, can't you, by hoarding your mouth or just being generally stingy, actually. Just a bit stingy. If you're constantly putting yourself in situations where you know you're going to get drunk. If you're slagging off people who are your so-called friends. If you're bitching about them on Facebook or you're standing by the office coffee spot and gossiping. Or work in every situation to your advantage. Paul isn't mincing his words, is he? He never lets them off. But remember what he wrote at the beginning. He wrote to those sanctified, set apart for God and holy. He didn't write to the church messed up and sinful. And so he finishes it. Look at the end of this little section. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. And he uses the past tense. He's really, really been telling them off, hasn't he? He's not messed about in this letter. But he writes here, and that is what some of you were. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. It's really key, isn't it? You were. He reminds them, this is what you were, not what you are. We were like this. I guess any of us could look at this list and say, yeah, I can identify. I used to be like that. Or I'm still struggling with that area. Or, yeah, I could put myself on this list. But that is not what you are. We need to, as it were, update our Facebook status or our tweet or something. That is not what we are. Let me steal a little illustration uh, from Thursday's service. When I heard it, I thought this is a good illustration for today. Uh, The speaker on Thursday said, When I came to join the army on the first day, I was told to remove my clothes 
to put them in a brown paper bag and to mail them to my home address. I put on the soldier's uniform and I was told, now you are a soldier. The next day I went to training and I was told over the next six weeks, he said, I will make you a soldier. Can you see the two things? He is a soldier, but he is being made a soldier. They need to learn how to act like soldiers, to act like what they are. And this is what Paul constantly says. You are washed. Nothing you've done or will do is going to be seen. God looks at you and he sees Jesus. You are sanctified. You are not in this group anymore. It's not a gradual phasing out. As you become more holy, you creep across. You are holy. This is what you are now. I am in God's group of holy people. I will continue to be tempted and I probably will sin. But my place in this group does not depend on my moral achievements but on the forgiveness I find in Jesus. He says, you are justified. You believe in Jesus' death on the cross was enough punishment. Okay, You don't think a little bit more was needed? No? Or a little bit less? No, it was enough. You are put right with God. Paul says to them, grow up. Be who you are, not who you were. And here, if we've, we've, as we've read, when they're taking each other to court over trivial matters, it proves that they've still got a lot of growing up to do. And today, some of us do read this list and feel terrible. We know that we return to those same habits again and again and we're struggling with sin we're constantly tempted but we need a fresh reminder don't we that we are washed we are sanctified we are justified so let's come again today thanking God for the security we have in Jesus it's not about our moral failures or our moral achievements but it's about Jesus. But we need to remember, don't we? At the same time, we need to keep coming to the cross for forgiveness, asking the Spirit to help us the way that we are, not how we were. Nay read last week from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And sometimes we can place ourselves, can't we, morally higher or lower than those around us in this race for holiness. But ours and the person next to us, position in God's eyes is the same. It's based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We are washed, we are sanctified, and we are justified. Amen.